Hello and welcome to the Jackass, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittas Willen and with me, as always, is Steve Carroll. How are you, Steve? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Have you got over the uh, Wales Away trip yet? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, it's Wednesday today. I'm quite pleased I was um, off work, as you can imagine, because I didn't get back from Estonia until about half past ten last night, and it was about 14 hours travel, all in told. But... Um, Great trips, great to be back um, following Wales again, but um, yeah, definitely needed today off, I think. Um, I would have, wouldn't have looked great uh, getting into work at half six this morning, I don't think. No, two two away trips in a week is um, is taxing on the liver, that's that's for certain. Um, just to let you know, Matt is going to be joining us later on in uh, the podcast, but we're going to start with him, uh, and we are going to begin with uh, the Wales chat. We'll move on then to discuss... Um, the Swansea games from before the international break. So if you want to just skip the Wales chat, you can you can skip through a couple of minutes um, to reach those games. After that, we'll uh, we'll discuss the fans forum, which is taking place tonight as we are recording. Uh, and then, of course, we'll finish off with what you all tuned into here: our preview of the Big South Wales derby on Sunday, Swansea against Cardiff, twelve o'clock at the Liberty Stadium. We cannot wait, but you will have to wait for the chat on that match. Uh, we'll start off, Steve, with the Wales chat. You were out in Prague, you were out in Tallinn. I mean, extremely jealous. The first time, the first chance um, fans have had to actually travel abroad to watch Wales since before the pandemic. Before we get on to discuss the football, how, how were they as trips and how did fans uh, make up for lost time? Yeah, I think <clears throat> there was a lot of excitement, as you can imagine, really, for to be back on the road with Wales. I mean, the people that go to Wales away, I think it's it used to be one of the best kept secrets, really. I mean, everyone loves it. You just get to go abroad and, you know, drink significant amounts uh, over a period of a few days and got a bit of football in there as well. And then for the other people, there's a bit of culture. You can do other things, like I combined uh, drinking with a, a thing where I went to the ice bar, for example, and, and that was nice. Went up to the castle in Prague on the day of the game just to give a bit of respite from drinking. So, yeah, they were nice. I mean, Estonia was a bit quieter, really. Um, not much going on. And there was a couple of museums that you could go to on the Monday. But the, uh, Well, you could have normally gone to on the Monday, I should say. But everything seemed to be shut on a Monday in Estonia. So I can't really say I saw a lot there. But um, stopped off in Finland as well Saturday night. Um, if you're going to go drink in there, I'd be prepared. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a sting on the wallet. But... Um, no, they were good trips, all places I haven't been to before as well, which is a bonus. So, um, yeah, pretty good, I would say. My brother stopped off in Riga um, on his way to Tallinn uh, and that city was um, full of Dutch fans because they've been out there to watch their team play against uh, Latvia. Um, so he had a very, very good night uh, on en route from Prague to Tallinn. Let's move on to the uh, football because there was a bit of pressure on these games after what was a disappointing night against Estonia in the last international uh, round of games. We, um, we we got to Prague. I think it's fair to say the home side were the heavy favourites. But I'll be honest, I've I I was I, I I'm struggling to remember a qualifier Wales have played in in which I was more entertained than I was in this match, Steve. I'll be honest, I was not expecting that performance, regardless of the result. I mean, the way the match was played was just phenomenal for any neutrals watching. It was a cracking game, wasn't it? I was thinking that at the time, actually, just like 
no, I sort of can't take my eyes off this. It's going sort of one end to the other. And obviously, especially towards the end, I felt we were really pushing, you know, for that late winner um, type of thing, really. But yeah, it was, you know, do get a lot of games sometimes in international football, don't you, that can maybe be a little bit dull. But this one wasn't, I think, you know, in some ways we needed a, a win probably to make up for Estonia. And we, you know, we certainly had that attitude, you know, with some of the subs that we made and that type of thing. And if anything, I felt we were more attacking than the Czechs, really, which I thought was a bit surprising because I know they've obviously got the situation, you know, sort of in their hands, providing Wales don't beat Belgium in the last qualifier, you would have thought. But at the same time, I mean, they've, you know, they, they really had a chance to, to nail second place to the mast, really. So it was a bit of a surprise in that sense. But um, yeah, it was, you know, there were a lot of chances in that game, weren't there? And it was, it did to and fro. It wasn't as cautious as, uh, you know, what, what some games can be, really. And it was, I think if, if it had carried on for another few minutes, nobody would have complained, really, because it was the, the one of the most entertaining games I've been to with Wales, certainly away from home, I'd say. Well, it was fantastic to watch. And I, I thought we were better than the Czechs, I'll be honest. And um, it's um, it, it was a shock, and I think it was a shock to the Czechs. I don't think they were expecting us to approach the game the way we did, especially considering, you know, Gareth Bale wasn't on the pitch, but... Aaron Ramsey really, really showed up. Uh, I mean, he does, he he misses a lot of games for Wales, which is seriously frustrating. But when he's there, my God, does he make a difference? And we saw that for, well, the first goal in particular, um, you know, a great counter-attacking move and, and finished off very, very nicely by Ramsey. And then the second one, a beautiful finish by um, by Dan James after a great through ball from Harry Wilson. They, uh, Wales aren't still aren't scoring many goals, but actually, the goals we are scoring, we'll get on to Estonia in a bit, which is the anomaly in this. But the goals that we have been scoring and qualifying have, by and large, been really, really pretty goals. Yeah, they have. I mean, I, I was impressed with, with how we played. I've got to say, I've been quite critical recently. And I think you've been quite similar, really, in terms of, you know, a lot of our performances have been dull. We haven't been creating enough chances. Certainly, haven't been finishing many. and we But we've managed to nick games, really. I think that's been our... I was sort of 40, but we, we did play much better then. As you say, the goals were very good. I mean, it's quite nice to see a score on the break, I think. I think you know we've seen it with the Swans a few times where there's an opportunity to break on occasions and we then slow it down and, and then wait for everyone's back and then you know the chance have gone. But we, we really did well with that. We were quick passing and then obviously Ramsey has taken the gamble with the, the crossfield ball and it's, it's paid off. The goalkeeper's obviously slipped, which was a bit of a help. But yeah, that was... You know, to see a score a goal like that was encouraging rather than, you know, wasting a bit of time. We, we really went for the juggler there and scored. And I've got to say, it was absolutely wild when that went in. It was uh, bonkers. There were pints flying everywhere. Not sure that bit was so good. But, um, yeah, it was one of the more crazy Wales away um, celebrations. Really. And as you say, I've, I really felt after we made the subs of Harry Wilson and Conor Roberts, after we conceded the two goals, that we were massively on top. And there was they were subs that really worked for us. As you say, Wilson did play a really lovely through ball to to Dan James, and it was a great finish as well. You know, so just lifts it over the keeper a bit and right into the side net, and he, he couldn't have hit it any better, really. And if we're honest with Dan, sometimes that final ball can let him down, but he got that spot on. And um, yeah, I think at that point I was feeling quite encouraged that we could go on and win. That we had more chances after it as well, didn't we? That you know we were maybe a bit unlucky not to put away, and maybe one or two others we should have done better with. I mean, in an attacking sense, we were absolutely fantastic and created chance after chance. And like you said, the substitutions added to that. We really went for it. The only thing that 
undid it for us really was um well these mistakes at the back again which are becoming a real habit unfortunately i mean the first goal conceded straight after we scored the first i mean i can't imagine how deflating that must have been in the in the away end and then you know the, the first goal i i've got to say the defense was was all over the place three center backs going for the same player i mean you know basic basic stuff but the second check goal really really was a, a, a howler of incredible proportions um i mean i've i've you very rarely see it steve ball pass back to the keeper and i'm i'm not sure what ward is trying to do here sometimes you see there's an uncomfortable bobble which you know catches the keeper out or, or something i just think he just takes his eye off the ball entirely here it's, it's a funny one and i do think ramsey does put the ball back to him a little bit too quickly there's a bit too much pace on it i, I will say that and it is bobbling slightly but look it's it's a bad mistake there's no other way of of describing it really is there. I mean, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him as well because he slid back to stop it. It was hit the post and then hit him and got in. So we could have got away with it, I suppose, but it's a shambolic goal to concede. And I mean, from where I was, I just remember like I put my hands over my mouth and I think I was speechless for a good minute, which is quite rare for me. And I think a lot of other people were doing the same thing really because you just could not believe what had happened. It's such a, you know, a freak goal that you just don't see very often, isn't it? Um, but, I mean, as you say, defensively, we're, we are letting ourselves down. I think that's definitely a weakness of our game. It was so strong, wasn't it, years ago under Chris Coleman? He, he did so well to make sure that we were cutting out most of our mistakes. But, yeah, it is it is a bit concerning defensively. I mean, we, we don't look... Uh, the funny thing is, we've kept quite a lot of clean sheets over the last couple of years. But I just think we sort of got away with it a little bit. And at times, maybe... You know, when we then have played the better nations, we have conceded um, and looked a bit, a bit of a shambles. I mean, you could say that about the Czech game. Conceded three to Belgium. That wasn't great. It is Belgium. Go, and going forward, they're very good. I will say that. But I think one of the ones that really concerned me was about a year ago when we played England in a friendly and they basically played a reserve team. I know we made changes, but our back four and keeper were our strongest. or I would say was the strongest. And we were all over the place. So I just think when we come up against someone half decent, you know, we are given the bit of the run around defensively, and it is a concern. Um, we've got away with it in other games. We'll come on to discuss Estonia, where was one where we got away with it, but we've got to sort of sort it out, I think. And we, I think another thing we sort of need to do probably is decide what our strongest formation and strongest team is, especially defensively, because. I know it's difficult at times. Like you look at Roden, obviously couldn't play in the last international break. He is obviously in that team. He's our best centre half. And if he doesn't play, then maybe that that doesn't help either. But you know, I think we we have got to look at what we think is our best because you know, uh, is Chris Mep a minute, for example? Uh, I've got my doubts. Um, you should. I mean, Page. What gets me with Page is. Um, and you know, I, I'm definitely not one of these people who who thinks Page is you know way out of his depth and and needs to go, etc. I'm I'm quite open to keeping Page, um, on the basis that, he, that he's with us at the moment. But but the one thing with Page that really gets my nerves is this defensive weakness, which you assume would be a, a real strength of his because he was just a very unflashy but very reliable and solid centre back during his playing days. 
and and you see none of those attributes really in the in the in the current back line. I mean, you've got Roden there, who is quite easily our best defender, but he's playing alongside Chris Meppham, who is decent enough with the ball at his feet, but but I've never been convinced by him defensively. Um, and he's not, you know, playing reg- starting regularly for um, Bournemouth at the moment. Um, that you know, he, he I think he's lost quite a bit of confidence um, from from the club there. Um, and then playing on the other side of him, you have Ethan Ampadu, who I love, but who I think's greatest potential is undoubtedly in midfield. And as a defender, I don't think he's that great. I think he's he'll he's fine. He'll do you a job there. Um, but but I don't think he's a brilliant centre back by any means. And I just feel that when you include those two alongside Rodon, you're picking players there on the basis of their footballing ability rather than um, their their defensive abilities. And, and it's it, we aren't good enough to be able to do that. Sorry, we, we've been caught out so many times, and we're just not learning a lesson. We're not developing. We're not getting better. And at some point, that tough decision has to be made to to bring in better defenders, more reliable defenders, even if they're not as you know comfortable with the ball at their feet. You know, we we've got it. We've got to shore up that defence because even even Rodan at the moment. You know, he's be, because he's not got any support alongside him, he's being stretched, he's being overworked at the back there, and he's not looking as convincing as you'd want him to. Um, we, you know, I, I just think it's it's a real issue. And, you know, let, let's move on to talk about Estonia because we won 1-0, but, but it was in no way convincing. I don't think it was even deserved. And um, our defence really got away with one there because throughout the night there was just mistake after mistake misunderstanding after misunderstanding and they just don't seem to have any kind of confidence or any kind of understanding of what what their teammates are going to be doing and that at the end comes down to page both in terms of team selection and how they're being coached in the in the admittedly little time that they do have together yeah i i have got my doubts about page i've got to be honest i think he's been thrust into a tough position Regardless of that, we, we can't get rid of him really anyway because of all the, the situation with gigs. I mean, we can't really appoint an interim manager, I don't think, in this situation that's outside the setup already. So I do think we have to persist with it for now. If I'm honest, I'm sure we'll discuss this further at a later date once there's been a resolution. For me, I'd like to see somebody else take the playoffs. But, um, you know, we, we were all over the place in Estonia. I can't look at it in another way. We, we didn't create a lot either. We... And I can't really think of you know many valid excuses. But we've done a bit of travelling, but at times that can be the same for everybody. Um, and you know we had a, a more than good enough side out there to to win. We didn't have bail, obviously, but you know most of our other guys um, were there. We were missing one or two. Um, obviously, we were missing David Brooks, who I'm sure we'd uh, both like to send our regards to after uh, the terrible news today. And hope he makes makes a, a speedy recovery. Um, but we, we should have been better than what we were. That was a return, wasn't it, to the likes of Belarus away, from my point of view, where we got away with it, and we got away with it again. And I think the frustrating thing, from my point of view, is we all felt so good after the check-in. I was thinking, well, if we play like that, whoever we get in the playoffs, as long as none of the, the major nations like Spain slip into it, we're more than capable of giving them a game and we'll have a chance. But I watched the Estonia one, and I thought, how the hell does this team win a playoff? And I don't have an answer for it. And that is the worrying thing, really. Um, you know, we've got big games that are going to come next March, regardless of whether we're home or away. We're more or less guaranteed that playoff place. And, you know, 
at, and right now, am I convinced we, we can get through? The answer has to be no. So that's what worries me, really, because we should look so much better, shouldn't we? And we and what we see defensively, as, as you've said, I mean, how the hell is a better nation not just going to pick us off? I, I'm, I'm very concerned about what Belgium will do to us. I mean, you know, we saw the Belarus could score two goals against us um, away in Russia um, a couple of weeks back. Um, we've got to play them at the Cardiff City Stadium. You know, the way we play against these so-called lesser sides, you, you can't say that, you know, oh, we'll definitely get three points there. You know, there's no guarantee at all that that Belgium game is going to be the kind of showpiece event that we want it to be. Um, and when you look at the attacking talent that Belgium have, OK, they're not the same side they were a couple of years back. I don't think they're the, the kind of world beating force that they um, that they were before. They've got fewer world class players. They've got, um, you know, some some really aging stars there now that they're still relying on in certain positions. But man, that, that what what somebody like De Bruyne Lukaku, Carrasco can can do to our defence, I dread to think, because if Estonia can pick us apart, and, and the only thing that got us that win uh, in Tallinn was Estonia's lack of quality up front, because they had the chances, We most of them came from our mistakes, um, you know, we, we just, if we play anything like that against Belgium, it, not only is it not going to be a contest, it, it's going to be an embarrassment, make, make no mistake about it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, but the situation right now is on in terms of goal difference. Um, that we, the Czechs are likely to beat Estonia, and we're likely to beat Belarus. You would have thought, but that means we'd still need something off Belgium. And and how do we get it? Because, as you've said, I mean, De Bruyne makes a lot of very good players look ordinary. So what he's going to do to us is, you know, is quite concerning. Lukaku doesn't need many chances to score. And against our defence, he, he will probably get a couple of, of good ones, to say the least. So I don't really see us getting anything in that game. The hope is that Belgium have already qualified, which is perfectly possible. And, of course, then they may well rest players, and that could play into our hands a little bit. But we're relying on that, really. I, I would say I, I can't see us getting anything. And if we don't get anything, I think we're more or less nailed on for an away playoff. And, I mean... You could argue in some ways that maybe playing away to a reasonable team might not be a weakness based on the Czech Republic game. It may help us, but if we then have two away games in a short period, you know, to get to that World Cup, it that would be very tough as well, wouldn't it? So, you know, we it's, it's hard to see us beating Belgium, isn't it? I know we've done it before. It's been brilliant, but that was a very different Belgium, um, I would say. I, I think the team that obviously we did beat at the Euros was a better team than this, as you've said but they've now got a far better manager in charge and you just don't see them losing to someone like us now. I think the nations that will beat Belgium will be the better ones. Like obviously they lost to France and they the other day in the nations league, they lost to Italy um, in the summer, in the Euros. I mean, those type of teams can beat them, but I just don't see anyone outside of that major group um, managing to do a number on Belgium now. No, I'm, I'm struggling to see that. And, you know, let, let's face it. It was a it was a mixed international break. There were there were po- very obvious pe- positives from the Czech Republic performance, but like we said, there are these kind of recurring issues now that aren't getting resolved with Wales, and they are causing us a lot of problems now. And it's it's just something that has to be addressed. There's no two ways about it. And I'd like to see us actually learn from our mistakes um, and, and, you know, address those issues. 
that's a concerning thing for me that we're not really um, seemingly addressing those issues, and uh, it is a concern. Um, but there we go. Well, uh, the the important thing, I guess, is the Wales do still have a chance of finishing second in the group, albeit they um, they have a heck of a heck of a task on their hands in the uh, final two games against Belarus and Belgium if they are to do it. But hey, we've seen Wales do some uh, pretty incredible things over the last few years. Who knows? Maybe they can pull one out of the bag this time around. OK, we're going to move on now to discuss the, uh, the swell, the Swans' last uh, two games, which are against Fulham and Derby. So let's get back to actually discussing uh, the Swans. And good news, we've been joined by Matt. How are you, Matt? Good news. I'm sure that's a subjective term, but yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, before we get on to um, discuss the really pressing issues, um, mainly, of course, the derby coming up on Sunday, uh, we've got two matches from before the uh, uh, the international break to look back at, uh, an away defeat against Fulham and a nil-nil draw away against Derby. Um, well, let's start off with Fulham, because this was a pretty comprehensive defeat, Matt. But, dare I say it, there were some positives to be found there as well. Yeah, there were. Um, if, I, if I'm honest, I mean, the, the comprehension of the defeat came um, from one man, really. And um, I do feel like, and this is probably up for debate, but I, I feel like Russell Martin lined up his, his back four wrong. Or, or back five, if you like, wrong on the evening. Um, because you you had uh, Norton, Markin, Mitrovic and Kabanko um, out, out to the side. And I feel like the sw- swapping them to a round might have given us a little bit more of a chance um, against the uh, against the big man up front. Because I think he was, um, well, he was in imperious form, wasn't he? And he... You know, yeah, okay. His 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 first goal was offside, and he's he's scuffed one of them. But that's, you know, good strikers stick the ball in the back of the net, and then leave the officials to do or not do their job, as it were. But um, he was uh, he was in um, great form, and we had no answer to him. But like like you say, it wasn't without um, positivity because aside from that, and um, I think we did quite well. I think we 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 you know we we showed good good glimpses. We had far far more of the ball than than Fulham and you know we 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 created a few uh, chances we scored a great goal on the break um so there were signs there and I know Russell Martin came out after the game and he was quite um well he was very complimentary of the way we played um there is probably a second way of looking at that saying that you know we go back to 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 2-1 and we're thinking right okay there's a game on now and then straight away uh, Fulham scored the third, which is um, a bit of a, a bit of a sucker punch. But because um, we were hoping at half time, maybe at two one, you know, the, the second half plays out slightly differently. But Fulham probably then were happy to let us have the ball because they knew the game. They had that cushion of a two goal lead. But take nothing away from us. I think you know in, we're learning. We're trying to get up to Russell Martin's style of play, and um, you could see, as you say, you could see in large periods of that game. Um, what he was trying to achieve and, and, and the way he wants us to play. Um, Steve, what about you? Are you glass half full or glass half empty in terms of this performance? Because you know there were, there were some there were some very nice passages of play, but it, it has to be said, apart from the goal and you know one or two half chances at the start of the second half, um, we didn't create too many chances. And Fulham, you know, they had the two goal lead and they sat back and 
for for the most part in the second half, they did look very comfortable, um, just letting us have the ball. Um, you know, were, were we was it a good performance or was it overshadowed really by by naivety at, at the same time? Um, there was definitely naivety. I mean, I, I should probably bring in what was said at the fans forum tonight, actually, about Russell Martin in terms of style of play, because he did mention this game, actually. And he said that, you know, we just we had the option of we could sit off and try and stop them playing or we could go toe to toe with them the way that we want to play. And obviously we chose the latter. It was, you know, and I think in terms of certainly the short term, it was probably going to cost us. But I think he's thinking more long-term, really, isn't he, in terms of this is how we want to play, so we'll have a, you know, we will have more of a go at them because it'll stand us in, in good stead maybe for the future. So, you know, it, we were a bit naive, uh, I, I think. But at the same time, we there were patches where we, we played all right. I mean, Patterson scored a lovely goal for us. And we had a big chance early in the second half with Flynn Downs to, um, you know, get a goal back. And if that goes in, maybe we would have had a chance. But, um you know, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Fulham have got a lot of players that would walk into most other teams in the division. So uh, first eleven, and they we you can't look at it in any other way. Mitrovic has obviously been a pain in the ass for from our point of view. You know, um, obviously down the years, um, first goal was offside. Don't forget that either. Um, you know, it, it was always going to be difficult. That that that's the way that I'm looking about it. I I wasn't too disappointed. I I didn't think we played too badly, considering. Um, who we were playing. So I, I think there's positives um, from that, really. And, um, you know, that that is our only defeat in the last six games. So don't forget that. And they, they, I think a lot of sides are going to go there and lose. I mean, it would be a big surprise, I would say, if Fulham didn't finish in the top six, wouldn't it? I'd I just add a detail on to what Steve was saying there. Um, and it goes back to what he was saying about Russell Martin wanting to play the way now, why he wants to, us to be playing in a year, 18 months' time. Um, and I think that goes back to my point, what I was saying about... Um, Norton and Cabango switching because Cabango had a torrid time as well, um, trying to trying to keep their winger quiet. I forget his name, but he taught Cabango a new one time and time again. It was Nisco's Cabano, wasn't it? That was uh, that was a mismatch. Yeah, and he thought, well, if if you put Cabango against Mitrovic and and Norton against Cabano, you've got a better chance there in both duels. But I thought like he's, I thought those two could have switched round. But in 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 essence, what I'm saying here is he could have done that to nullify the Fulham threat of the evening. But if long-term, he wants an extremely competent ball player as the centre-man of his three at the back, then he's going to be playing that now, whether or not it it it, it costs us in the short-term. As Steve was saying, I don't think Russell Martin um, is looking short-term. I think he's looking right. I'm going to be playing with a ball player and centre-back there. So whoever we've got to play there, we'll play there. But, but Steve, this this is kind of like what we were discussing with Wales, isn't it? That Robert Page has gone for defenders based on um, their, their footballing ability more than their defensive ability by the looks of things. And, you know, last few games, OK, there have been injuries which have forced his hand as well. But, you know, he had other options other than playing Norton through, uh, as, as the main centre-back and, and Ryan Manning, say, as... Uh, left side, left on the left side, that back three, Cabango on in the slightly wider position there. He did have other options, but but those are the options that that he picked. Um, are we still looking for for the right balance? We'll come on to discuss the tactics for the Cardiff game later on. But you know, going forward, is this the way that it's going to be, or do you think we are going to see? Um, you know, the likes of Reese Williams and and um, right and um, 
uh, Ryan Bennett um, in particular, and even possibly Latibaudier, you know, challenging for, for positions in, in that back three. I mean, you, you would have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, Bennett, for example, probably is, is definitely going to play. I don't think we would have brought in Reese Williams if we weren't intending to play him. I mean, <clears throat> obviously he has started a couple of games for us. So, yeah, I think it wasn't ideal, was it, really, what happened with the, the Fulham game in terms of Cabango was the only established centre-half that played, really, wasn't he? And then Manning and Norton either side of him, I think. You know, ideally, I, th- I think the manager would like Bennett with Cabango with... Um, possibly Williams, I would say. So, yeah, he hasn't really picked... I'm not sure if he's picked those three together yet. He may have done in one or two games, but um, I think ideally that's what he would like, and then probably Manning as the left wing back. So, yeah, I mean, your hands are tight sometimes, aren't they? I mean, we've, we've had one or two knocks. You know, we've had previous COVID outbreaks, so it's been tough for the manager in some ways to pick uh, the side that he wanted to. But, I mean, we, we did get shown up against Fulham. We, we can't look at it another way, but... Like I said, they're a good side, aren't they? So, you know, I, I think he's taken this long-term approach. He wants us to play in a certain way, and we're just going to have to take um, the teething problems that come with it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that that's the key message. And after Fulham, of course, we went, um, well, went from playing one of the strongest squads in the division to um, certainly one of the thinnest squads in the division. Derby County, crisis hit Derby County. Um we say crisis hit, of course, they are bottom of the table, but um, they, they would have started this game uh, quite a few points ahead of Swansea had um, had they not had that points deduction due to their financial troubles. Um, so we knew that they were going to be a, a tough nut to crack. And Matt, that's, that's how it turned out in the end, a frustrating afternoon at Pride Park. Yeah, the, the the double header would have looked a lot sweeter if we'd got um, what we should have got out of those two games, which would probably been a return of three points. Um, but as it is, we've got the two, we got the one point off the two games, and it, it does leave a little bit more of a bitter taste in the mouth because, um, make no mistake about it, Derby was two points dropped. Um, I, I think we we could have um, we could have been a little bit more. Um, assertive with them. I think there were large periods of that second half where Derby um, didn't intend on stepping a yard outside of their 18-yard box. And, you know, fair enough. I mean, I think for them, they were looking at it as, you know, it was it was a, it was a, a point gained. Um, we were we were better. I think they knew from the start that we were we were better than them and we were they did what they had to do to keep um, like uh, like Sir Joel Piro quiet and stuff. So he didn't have a very uh, active game, if you like. But um, for what we tried to do, uh, I think Russell Martin recognised as well because he made uh, attacking substitutions in the game. He wanted to go for it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the Liam Cullen won his... Um, He's, he's obviously horribly out of form, and the other one of the other ones was Ethan Led coming on, and he looked every bit as uh, as as lacking in match sharpness or fitness or whatever it may be with him, uh, as as you would would be concerned about really because he he didn't have the impact you hoped for either, um, but um, no, over the course of the game there was uh, there was plenty of opportunity for us to really you know just try and choke them out a bit and try and force the issue a little bit more. And in the end, you may look at that uh, Tom Lawrence uh, triple header of of attempts at Ben Hamer and think, well, maybe we were lucky to come away with a point because um, 
yeah, he had uh, he had a few sniffs of goal without the defenders ever threatening to get a tackle in, which or block, which was uh, which was quite shambolic at the time, really. But um, yeah, a two points dropped for me. Yeah, that would have been a really painful one had uh, Derby found the back of the net there. And and in truth, Steve, you know, Derby Derby didn't really have too many opportunities. But when the opportunities did come, um, you know, they they could have snatched it. There's no doubt about that. And again, I think it comes back to this naivety. Um, it was also interesting that Wamata. I, I didn't feel that we that we really pushed for the win in the second half. I thought we were quite clearly the better team in the first half. Second half, it got a bit ragged. We did kind of lose our way a little bit. I didn't feel that we were particularly effective. And I didn't feel Russell Martin's substitutions for once um, were... Well, I just found them a little bit confusing, if I'm being honest. I thought um, the decision to bring... Yeah, obviously, I, I thought Laird should have come on for Latibodia. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with this one, that one. But when he did come on, it was quite clear why he'd been left on the bench in the first place. He didn't look uh, entirely match fit and uh, didn't look up to uh, up to the game, really. Um, but then, you know, in a match that we, we were really struggling to bring, uh, break down the opposition, I didn't understand bringing on Cullen for Piru. I would have understood playing two up front. Um, side by side and sacrificing one of the midfield. You know, we had Grimes, Downs and Smith in midfield at that point. You know, there were there were plenty of options there that you could have taken off. I didn't think Corey Smith was really working in that position, uh, in the more advanced position. I didn't think he was getting any joy. Um, and then the decision to bring on Morgan Whitaker right at the end when really he, he had no time to influence the match. I just thought... Perhaps maybe a little bit of fatigue after a, a, a busy period showing with with Russell Martin as well for once. Um, I don't know, but but I thought his um, his in game management was um, was was a bit surprising from from my point of view. Yeah, I think I mean <clears throat> taking Piro off for Cullen. I mean to me that indicated that we weren't really desperate for the win because Piro has been by far our biggest goal threat. So. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I, I think there were maybe one or two decisions in that game that weren't the best. Um, the only thing I think of, obviously, hectic period, a lot of games, a lot of minutes. Maybe Piro didn't need to come off. It's you know that that's possible as well. So I I get that, but um, I think you're right on the whole. I mean, the first half was good. We had chances. Second half not so much. It it wasn't a bad um, result, was it overall? I don't think. But um, you know, I, I think it's just the fact that we've. We have had a nice little spell the last six games. You know, we've only lost one of them, but there have been four draws in there. I think we obviously the, the aim is going to have to be to try and turn some of them um, into wins, isn't it? I think. But um, it was on the whole, we were, were the better team. We, we played quite well, and obviously, as you say, Derby are bottom, but at the same time, they're not bottom in terms of pointers because they've had a deduction. So I, I, I thought it was in. There were some positive signs in there again, which you know we seem to be seeing about most games really, which is a good thing. It's just that. Um, we obviously we need to put more teams to the sword, and um, there would be no better way than uh, to start with that than on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go on to discuss uh, uh, the Cardiff game and and everything else that um, that we've got to discuss in this pod, Matt, um, on the face of it, you could say that Cardiff game looks like you know a likely draw because neither of the teams have been winning much uh, recently and you're looking back at some of the draws the swans have had hull nil nil millwall nil nil okay the luton draw was you know a, a, a crazy one and um, you know one we'll we'll never forget um but then a nil nil away against derby and, and a lot of the well the three nil nil nils in particular 
they followed a certain trend, didn't they? This one's having a lot of the ball and just failing to find that that bit of quality that would have really broken them down and, and, and got the three points. We're just not producing, we're not able to find that key to unlock the deep sitting, really tightly packed defences at the moment. And, you know, looking ahead to Cardiff, um, that, that could be a bit of an issue for us, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. And and we, we'll come back again to the, the deadline day um option of um of Fosu from um from Brentford and, and, and how that might have um materialised and how that might be different. Um well, our season may already be looking a little bit different. But that you know, that's by the by. I think everyone knows from watching us that we're missing that creative ten the one that's going to be feeding Piro because Piro looks every bit the sharpshooter that we need. We need someone who's not afraid to hit the ball early. He's, he's brimming with confidence. Even if he goes a couple of games without getting a goal, he, he wouldn't know it because he he still hits them early. He still looks to um, catch the keeper off guard. And that, for me, is is a dream. I, I love seeing strikers do that because you can overthink it up front and, and he is not doing that. So you need someone to give him, give him the ball and tell him to do what he does best. Um, and do it more often, which is which is where we're looking to um, to to adapt really as the season progresses. Um, I think a lot of money will be put on a draw on Sunday. Uh, there are elements to our game which Cardiff won't like, none more so than the fact that they're probably going to get less than twenty percent possession because <laughs> um, they don't like possession at the best of times, Cardiff, um, and and we love it. So I think both teams will be quite happy with that scenario. And uh, in complete disarray, which terrifies me going into a derby, uh, we're damned if we do and damned if we don't, because if we score early and we put a couple on Cardiff, it will almost certainly be curtains for Mick McCarthy, which Cardiff fans will actually turn around and say that's a good thing uh, for them. But um, from our perspective, um, you know, as I was just saying there, the difference between us turning those draws into wins is we have these periods of play where we where we really look like this could be a, this could be the game and we got to score in those times we've got to score at the time when we're really pushing the team back because we always seem to concede like we, did, like we did against Huddersfield Huddersfield I mean Huddersfield in the end perhaps you know it was whilst it was you know fairly comfortable it was always that thing in the back of your head, we should have got a couple more. But Huddersfield was was a perfect example of scoring early, one of your first chances, and um, and having that control of the game and not having to force the issue. Because I feel like in the setup we have with Russell Martin, we will benefit so much from being one nil up in a game and teams having to come out because we will already be having 55, 60% of the ball. And if teams want to come out and press us, then I feel like when they're panicking and they're pressing high and they're desperate for an equaliser, I feel like that's once we're in form and we're knowing what we're doing, that's the sort of gameplay that we will be looking for to pick teams off because they won't be able to get the ball off us. Um, but at the moment is getting that goal when we're on the in the first 20, 25 minutes when we're bossing the ball, bossing territory. Um, because if we don't do it in that period, as you saw against Derby, I think um, you have those periods then where you just think, God, Derby are hanging on. Um, and then they don't score. And then you just feel like Derby are coming back into it a little bit. And you feel like, 
maybe is a bit of a morale hit then with the Swans as well, because they feel like we've had all of this game and somehow the scoreline still says nil-nil and we're not doing enough to to, 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 to punish teams when they're on the back foot. Um, and we always seem to concede in those moments. We just need to find the missing link or the formula to, to make sure we score in them as well, because um, that to me would be a game changer for the whole season is, is, is scoring in those right right moments. Yeah, obviously that you know, is one of the toughest things in, in football, isn't it? But that that inability to unlock a defence that when they're sitting deep and parking the bus, it's it's just prevented us from get well from converting a couple of those draws into wins, and it would uh, make our league position look uh, very different if we had managed that. Just before we move on from the uh, derby chat, uh, unfortunately we do have to discuss um, racism among our fans. Once again, we discussed this against Luton, a small minority uh, up at Luton, um, starting off some racist chants. They were told straight away to cut it out um, and and it finished pretty sharply, but they still happened and we cannot overlook them. And sadly, once again, we're, we're having to discuss them because we've been told by um, fans who were in um, Derby that uh, the old Samaman chant was uh, going again. Um, this was an old favourite from from the Vetch. It was, um, you know, it, it, it contains a racist slur. Uh, against people from um, the South South Asian community, it's not acceptable. It wasn't acceptable back then when it was being widely chanted uh, at the Vetch, and it still isn't acceptable now when it's uh, a small minority trying to resurrect it. Predictable, maybe that this is going to be uh, rekindled around uh, in the build-up to Derby Day, but that chant has no place in modern football, and um, it's important the fans call it out and make those people aware that football isn't going to give them that kind of cloak of invisibility and immunity that that they're looking for to get away with racism and um let's face it if if you are you know singing a song about a man who hasn't even been involved in football really for the last 15 years whatever you know whatever you think of him you know like him or hate him for what he did at Cardiff um, you know, you can sing a song about him, but when you include the the words that are used in that song, then you've crossed the line, and um, you you really aren't welcome in in modern day football. Unfortunately, we've um, unfortunately had to discuss that, uh, but we'll move on now to uh, discuss the fans forum, uh, which took place uh, tonight. And Steve, you were there. Give us a little rundown of um, who was there and uh, what was discussed. Um, Steve, you've just come back from uh, the fans forum um, with down the Liberty Stadium. Um, tell us a little bit about it. What, who was there, and uh, what were the kind of things that were discussed? Um, I'll, I suppose the best thing to do is to give you a, a brief overview, really, isn't it? So, um, Russell Martin, Julian Winter, Mark Allen, amongst others, were on the top table. So, you know, as usual, microphones going around the room can ask questions. I, I won't go into all of them because. You know, um, I have done a live tweet uh, thread on Twitter. So if anyone does want to read um, at Stephen SOS 1987 and um, you can scroll through there. But um, we'll pick out some key points. Um, Russell Martin does have a, something planned for the team talk on uh, on Sunday. There's going to be a video recording of, uh, of some club legends just talking a little bit about the fixture and what it means to the fans. So that's uh, that's quite an interesting one. Um, what else have we got? Um, there's a question on the academy in terms of is it aligned with the uh, the other age groups and the first team? And the answer is that 
it is. So, you know, that is done to, to make the transition to the first team quite smooth for anyone that gets an opening in the first team. Um, there's a question on uh, Cooper that was asked by me regarding the uh, the fact that he stayed two weeks after um, that they decided he was going. And the whole point of me asking that really was that just to specify that even though I knew it would get battered away and it wouldn't get answered properly, which it wasn't, that I was making the point that I wasn't happy with the situation in the summer and I felt we didn't uh, deal with it in the way that we should. So, um, you know, that was said that um, some of it's confidential so that the, he couldn't go into the ins and outs of it. But um, that was that, really. A um, little bit about question on fitness. Martin has said that it can be sometimes be an easy excuse for a manager, but he said that, uh, it is a genuine one. We were, he hated our performance at Bristol City, even though that we won. Um, but he thinks now that we are in a, a lot better shape and we've made a big stride forward in the last couple of weeks in terms of fitness. So that's good. Um, what else have we got? A bit about January. The planning for that started. Um Pretty much as soon as the last one shut, so they've they've got a few positions in mind. No names were mentioned or anything like that. But um, you know, the manager really wants young, hungry players. He used Flynn Downs as an example. Um, he had other options, but he really wanted to come here, so that's obviously a good thing. Um, and then Mark Allen did say he could. He thinks it could take three to four transfer windows to get the squad as we wanted. I wouldn't say that's a major surprise, really, but um, it does just show you really that this is quite a long job. Um, bit of a question on Jake Silverstein in terms of he contributed half the loan that went into the club last year, along with Levy and Kaplan, who also um, put in a half between them. Um, Winter has said he's emotionally and financially invested in the club, so make of that what you will, I suppose. I'm thinking that there could well be an attempt to buy us from Silverstein at some point. Um, that's just how I'm seeing it, really. Um, and he's been good at, in terms of dialogue with the trust as well, which has to be a good thing. Um, there's a little bit about gambling um, in terms of sponsorship and the club don't really want to go with gambling companies, but they do pay more than others. So it's difficult to make a complete step away really from that, but they are trying to and, and align with more local businesses. For example, obviously we've got Swansea University on um, on the shirt, haven't we, for example. So, you know, I can understand that. Um, what else have we got? In terms of the, the legal situation with the trust, not a lot was said. Things are moving, not at the pace that people would like, but they are moving along. There will be a, a statement at some point once there's uh, some more concrete news. Um, then what have we got? Scrolling through at the moment. Can I ask you, it might be a good time now to ask you then, Steve, if you, you were there, you would have got the vibe in the room. Yeah, there, if I got a conflict in my head between what was actually said regarding the trust and legal and, and, and legal action, there seemed to be a two two stories going on. One saying that um, this is progressing and it's against the sellers and the buyers, and the other one saying that the relationship's improved and there hopes to be uh, some sort of agreement made. Made so, it, which one did you think was more likely to occur? Well, from my point of view, it's a case of legal action was voted for. The trust can't really get out of it now. And the only way that they could get out of it is if all this, um, whatever it's called, all the people that they're, they're taking action against come to the table with a, a deal to settle this in some sort of way. 
But even then, that would have to then go back to a trust member's vote. The trust board do not have the power to accept it. So, yeah, um, I, th- I think that's just the, sort of the trust way of saying that, you know, they would still prefer to avoid court if possible. And if there's other, you know, the, the, if there's a way of settling it, then they're not against sitting around the table and potentially putting another vote back to members if it can be sorted. But like I said, it would have to be, um, it would have to go back to a vote. So even then, if the trust board make a recommendation that you should accept it, it's not for the members to necessarily vote for that. They can still decide to proceed with legal action. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's going to be quite difficult now to um, to stop this legal action because of the way that you know the system is in terms of the members having the vote. You can you could in in most cases you could you could just settle up with the, the person involved, but um, it's a little bit more complicated because of the the trust are involved um does that answer it yeah and i think i, I think as a, as a passing comment on that unfortunately what we've seen over the past um over the past few years as well is that there's been very little appetite to move anywhere near the trust's position from the buyers or sellers um until the threat of legal action is is, is pushed on them and i think Trying to get them around the table isn't going to work. I think the best hope, hope, hope they've got for getting a resolution outside of court is to proceed with court action. Because until they got the fire under their ass, I don't think they they want to want to talk. And until they until it becomes real, and I think that's what we've seen play out over the last few years. So it's no real surprise that um, yeah. that the, while the they're fun, keeping the door open, is, it, it doesn't appear to be anything at the other end of it just yet. Yeah, the the funny thing is with it as well that. I think that they don't. I think there's a bit of naivety, maybe, just in my opinion, with the the people that it, the action is against that it, it will not make court. And like you say, obviously, if it does, which I I, I think it will now personally, because it's got reasonably far as far as I'm concerned in terms of securing backing for it, um, that they will then look to try and settle it. But like I say, it could be too late by then because the the vote is sort of it's with the members and. Um, you know, they could end up in court then whether they want it or not. And even if the trust board don't want it to happen, it's, you know, they, they have to go with what the membership decides. So it's, um, yeah, it would be would have been far better if this had been sorted before. But maybe the pre- the, the previous shareholders thought, oh, they, they won't get to court. They haven't got the money. But um, yeah, we will see, well, I suppose. Hopefully we will see in the near future because it's something that needs to be wrapped up, isn't it? The, the 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 other point on that as well, of course, is getting the external investment to to allow this to happen, has meant that um, it's actually in some someone else's best interest for it to go to court as well. So it's not even as if the old shareholders would be able to sit around and try and to appease the trust board and its members. Someone else wants has got a vested interest in that. Um, it's going yeah, to be exactly. very it's, difficult um, to talk them out. It's complicated, isn't it? It's um, you know, it is a minefield and. I do think it'll be very interesting if this does, you know, court action is is summoned and yeah, what what will happen then will be a bit of a mystery. But um, yeah, I certainly think that it'll it'll, it'll there'll be developments once that happens. Anyway, um, right, moving on. There was a question on sustainability, and Winter did admit that basically we will have to possibly sell players to remain sustainable. That that's not a shock in this division. I think most play uh, most clubs are in that position really because. The finances are so much less than than in the prem. Um, the ticket. Uh, this is another one question that I asked about tickets going on sale quite late. Um, there was an issue with the Bristol City game. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on you, but my cousin had his ticket on the day of the game, but it didn't come in the morning. 
he lives in Bridgend, works in Cardiff, so then had to drive back from Cardiff to Bridgend to get his ticket to then go to the game. And obviously that's not great. I, so I thought I should make the club aware of that. From what I can gather, it was down to Bristol City really putting them on sales so late. So that's that's one of those things. But I do think there has been a little bit of an issue with it this time. And, and with the Cardiff game going on sale late, that was to do with the guidance from the Welsh Government. They were waiting for that. So I can understand that as well. But um, I think it's definitely something that we that w- does need to improve because it does feel like a lot of tickets are going on sale later than, than normal. Um, I think before, arguably, they were going on sale too early. We're often four or five weeks in advance. But I'd say now, you know, they're going on sale sometimes a week, 10 days in advance. It's, it's not great. I think probably a balance of in between the two would be good from uh, from my point of view. Um this is a juicy one, a bit on Alan Tate. Um, Martin has a lot of respect for him. Um, Tate was very connected with Steve Cooper and said if he was offered a job with Cooper that he would go. So I think that sort of is why he's gone. Um, Martin did also say that he felt Tate was disappointed he didn't get the manager's job, but obviously he hasn't said that himself publicly. So, you know... Um, that's a, that's a bit of a strange one. I, I was a bit surprised by that revelation, if I'm honest. Um, Winter has said Tate has done a lot for the club um, and they sort of agreed together his, for his development. It would be better if he if he left, but they they f- thoroughly expect him to come back and are looking forward to that in the future. So I that's probably something we should discuss, isn't it? I'm not sure if we've discussed the fact that the man, the myth, the legend has moved on yet, but um, I, th- I think those revelations certainly warrant a discussion, don't they? Yeah, they definitely do. I'm completely surprised that's Alan Tate's position. Um, if, if Certainly, if that's what's said in the forum, then there's no reason to doubt it, but I mean, um, why... Yeah, I think thought... we all thought Tate wanted the job at some point, but not yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, it's such a... I mean, you would look at his, his, his old teammate, Gary Monk, and the cauldron of fire he stepped into. And for me, Gary Monk was far better equipped to 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 take in the position at the time than than, than Tate um, potentially is now. I just feel like um, certainly in the latter years of Gary Monk's playing career, uh, he was very injury... Uh, he was ridden, riddled with injuries, wasn't he, towards the end? And um, decided to do all his coaching badges, and always had that um, that way about him, didn't he? Even on the pitch, you would have thought this man will be a manager one day. Not really got those vibes from Tate. That's not to say that he won't be a good manager. I just would have expected him to perhaps want to shadow and and you know work on the on the on his his vision for the game perhaps a little bit more for a couple more years before uh, wanting to do it because I mean really speaking he's probably if he gets the Swans job in his career he's only probably going to get it once and I'm sure it's the one job he wants to make sure he's ready for and I'm, I'm a bit surprised about it I don't know what you think it though yeah I, I I've never seen Tate as you know we've had a lot of players down the years who I've looked at and thought, oh, he's got the potential to, you know, be a really good manager. I've never thought that about Tate. I'll be honest. I was slightly surprised he went into coaching. If I'm being honest, um, I mean, let's face it, it was only last season. I think that, that he was grabbing an opposition player by the throat. If we're being honest, is that the kind of temperament that you want from from, from the man in charge? We love Tate, you know. On we, Sunday, we... that's definitely what I want. 
<laughs> you can do it to all 11 players and the opposition manager um but it's you know it it's it's funny it's you know it's something we can joke about if he was in russell martin's shoes and doing that i'm thinking a little bit differently i'd expect you know a certain level of um of maturity that that wouldn't see that kind of thing go on um and I, I, yeah, I, I don't think the club can be blamed for overlooking Alan Tate as, as a potential managerial candidate, personally. Yeah, I, I'm looking at it a bit differently. I do think that, I certainly don't think Tate should have got the job at this point. But I mean, if he, you know, excels elsewhere, for example, and then possibly at some point oh. he could end up with the job. But, um, you know, I, I think Tate has done the right thing for him. And this might not be a bad thing in, in some ways, you know, for the club. I mean, the, the fact is the manager has to decide who he wants on the coaching staff. And we all love Tate. Um, but at the end of the day, if there was, you know, if he wanted to go elsewhere, then, you know, that, that's the way that we have to look at it as well, really. So, you know, I, I think he'll be back in the future at, at some point, whether that's his manager, right? I don't know. But, um, you know, um, we'll, we'll have to see how he gets on. But I, I think Tate... I wouldn't rule out him being the manager one day, put it that way. No, I, I, you know, if he goes away to Nottingham Forest and really excels, and you know, who knows, we could see him back here as a manager. But and and I definitely don't think we've seen the last of um, of Alan Tate. That's for sure. Um, what one uh, one thing before we uh, move on to discuss the uh, Cardiff game, um, quite relevant really, a player who uh, had had his impact on uh, several derbies in the past. Wayne mm. Routledge has uh, confirmed his uh, retirement from uh, football, uh, which is not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. We discussed a couple of weeks back that now that he'd left the club, that was probably it at his age with his injury, but. Um, Matt, now that he it's actually confirmed, uh, any extra thoughts from you on uh, the retirement of uh, a Swansea City great? No, just just that what you were saying there actually that when he said it's I've played my last game in a Swansea shirt, it would seemed really rather odd wording of saying I'm retiring, and a lot of news outlets picked up on um, him retiring. And I thought, well, he's actually quite explicitly not said that here so I did wonder at the time if he was thinking right maybe if I get my body back and you know into fit working order I, I want to play at a lower level and and I think maybe him retiring this week confirms to me that that was potentially his his school of thought at the time and now maybe he's at a second thought well I'm I'm ready to pack it in um you know he's settled down here his knees very uh, happy in the area and I can imagine that the club will look after him and um and maybe he's not really got a burning desire to to put his body through the rigors of getting back to to match sharpness and and you know we we obviously wish him all the all you know all the health and happiness in retirement and um another one who we hope will uh, stay around the club not for sentimentality reasons, but for every manager who he's worked under has had nothing but good things to say about Wayne Routledge, particularly in his later years. I mean, even Steve Cooper last season and the season before when he was rarely using Routledge, when he did use him, he was always very, very complimentary of him and saying how important he is behind the scenes, not even even if he's not on the pitch. Um, and so for those reasons, and no sentimentality involved at all, I really hope that he's kept involved because he's clearly a, a very, uh, a very good influence and uh, a very uh, someone that the younger players look up to. 
Yes, and um, Steve, even though he was, of course, a former Cardiff player a long time ago, he uh, he had a real impact on uh, a couple of uh, derby games over the years, thinking specifically the 3-0 down to Liberty, where he was one of the scorers. Um, and, of course, the last time we were allowed in to witness the Swans win over Cardiff, the 1-0 uh, under Steve Cooper two years ago, he put in the cross, I think, for uh, for Ben Wilmot to head home. So, um what you know? What what we would give for that kind of game changer on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> absolutely. That that goal, of, as you say, against uh, against them in February 2014, I think it was. Now that that lovely through ball was three nil. Pablo Hernandez, um, you know, and, and the finish. And I think at that point we hadn't been on a great little spell against Cardiff, so it was we needed that win uh, quite badly, didn't we? And and that set us on the way, as you say, to. A great 3-0 win. But I think, you know, Rutledge deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he didn't break into the team straight away when he first came. But those first, you know, I think the, the years under Loudrop particularly were, were standout ones for him, I would say. Um, who did really well, didn't he, on when the year that we won the Cup, for example. Um, there's, there was times where he looked like he might lose his place, but then always seemed to regain it in the later Prem days. I mean, maybe that wasn't always the best thing for us, but I mean... Look back, there's been some great moments in it. Some of them are, are fairly recently, really. I mean, I look back at that, there's a scuff shot to win at Leeds, but my God, it was uh, an unbelievable moment for everyone who was there. And, and one of the travesties of the lockdown, really, was that unbelievable goal against Reading that he scored from a, you know, with the touch from the, the goal kick, I think it was, and then the chip, the keeper. And then, of course, he's the one that gets Last the minute. important fourth goal at Reading to, yeah. to somehow get us in the playoffs, doesn't he? So, you know, they're, they're standout moments, really. And I'd probably look back and it would this. I think that would have been a great way to sort of sign off, wouldn't it? Because um, last year he didn't play a great deal and then sadly he picked up what was, you know, a horrendous injury, really. And at that stage of the career, I think it was always unlikely he wouldn't play again. But, um, yeah, a, a great servant. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, there may be a role for him somewhere at some point. But, um you know, I think it's quite interesting with Rutgers' career. Then obviously starting at Palace, and then there were a lot of moves, but he couldn't really find a home, could he? But you know, it, I, I think no one probably thought when he first came here he'd stay here for ten years. But that's sort of how it's transpired. And um, you know, fair play to him; he's um, he, he's done very well for us, hasn't he? And one and a half million, you got to say, it was uh, it's proved to be one of our, our best buys, really, in terms of value for money, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and a you know a, a real. Fantastic contributor over the years to the Swans, a brilliant servant um, who's, you know, gone through a real evolution with us as well from, you know, the exciting young winger who joined us uh, about 10 years ago in the Premier League to the, the senior figure that um, that led us through some um, tough times in the uh, in the championship. Um, well, you know, all we can say is thank you very much to uh, Wayne Routledge. But without further ado, let's let's get on to actually discuss what we're all here for. The first South Wales derby of the season, Matt, 12 o'clock on Sunday. <sighs> Dare I say it? We've, we've said this a lot of times over the years, but I think both teams would prefer if this match was possibly taking place at a different time, looking at their position in the table. The Swans have only won twice so far this season. Cardiff, well, they've lost their last five Neither side, um, it, it could be said, are, are, are really in brilliant form heading into this game, are they? No, they're not. Um, I think the crumb of comfort, if it was any other game other than the derby, would be to say 
that Cardiff are heading in one direction and we're heading in very, very different one. Um, even though it's a, it is a process and it's taking time, um, you can see the Swans are getting better week on week, and and we just need to uh, get the finished article now. Cardiff are, are falling apart, as uh, as uh, the old chant does, isn't it? But um, yeah, I think uh, from our perspective, the derby has come now when we are still very, very, very new in transition. Uh, we're still quite shaky. We're still far away from the finished article. And um, and, and we look like this could be outstanding and one of the more memorable ones in the, re- in the last 10 years. Or it could play out as a nil-nil draw. It really could because both sides are perhaps a little bit... Uh, Shy going forward at the moment, Cardiff are quite porous, but at the same time, Swansea aren't clinical. So there's a little bit of that where you're thinking this could play out as a nil-nil draw, which would be quite um, of an anticlimax uh, as we've been looking forward to it since the fixtures came out. But um, there is always that. There is always the derby factor, which you've got to take everything you've learned, everything you think you know, and just chuck it away. Because it means nothing. You've got you've just mentioned Cardiff lost the last five on the bounce. It will mean nothing at eleven o'clock on 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 Sunday when the team sheets come out. Um, that they may as well have won the last twelve because from that moment on it's a derby game and rules just don't apply for some reason. It's um, it's interesting to read what Steve put off the uh, off the fans forum tonight about the preparations for it because. Um, Russell Martin is sitting in that dodgy ground between wanting to let head rule over heart, but at the same time, not wanting to do a Dave Jones and completely disassociate from the derby. Um, so he's got to try and get the players to think logically and 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 be and not play with complete passion overload because that can go horribly wrong. But at the same time, he wants them to know that this is more than three points, and and everyone knows that with derby. Um, so it, you know. I don't know if he's got his work cut out because you shouldn't really have to say a great deal before a derby, but it's um, it's one the fans will not let them forget about from hour before kickoff on Sunday. They'll know they're in a derby. Absolutely. And Steve, let's talk about Cardiff because they had a, a decent start to the season results-wise, but I mean they they've had an awful time of things since um, since the last international break. They've lost their last five, scoring one, conceding twelve. There's some real shockers in there among those five. Um, they're on the longest losing run in the top five divisions. Um, if if they lose another one, they'll they'll have lost six straight league games for the first time since 1985. Are you surprised that Mick McCarthy is going to be in the dugout this weekend? Well, first of all, my heart bleeds for that club, obviously. But um, am I surprised? Well. I suppose they didn't. If you take out the first, the last five, obviously, which have been quite bad, they they didn't start too badly, did they? They were. I think there may have been three wins in the first six, or maybe even four, something like that. But um, yeah, I suppose he's he is under a little bit of pressure. I think obviously the what may have helped him was the fact that I think in the last game they were a little bit un, unlucky, weren't they, to lose? They've sort of lost that one to a smash and grab. And you think if they'd had another like especially bad performance, then maybe that would have made the difference. But, um, yeah, obviously losing five in a row is going to put you under pressure. And if you were to lose a derby and make that a sixth, 
the pressure obviously could become untenable. We don't know, do we? Um, I think this is the funny thing with football, isn't it? The fact that you know some clubs most certainly would have pulled the trigger. I think on on it based on you know five losses in a row. But I mean, every chairman is different, aren't they? I mean, you. I always remember some like Steve Keane at Blackburn. The the pressure seemed unbearable for about a year, and in the end, I think he quit after they'd been relegated into the championship. And they're thinking. Well, I, I, I can't believe why you've done that now because you've seen out so much. And also, it was a case of that you were waiting for Blackburn to pull the trigger for such a long time and they never did. So it's it's a funny one with football. Everyone interprets things differently, don't they? And um, obviously, they've decided that they don't want to make a change at this stage. So, you know, I, I don't think realistically we're complaining about that. But obviously, I could be forced to eat my words. You just you don't know about it, do you? But um you know, I think McCarthy could be on borrowed time and obviously we, we could speed that up. And uh, if we do, then uh, I won't be having any sympathy for the man I call Slick Mick. Matt, who do you think is going to benefit more from the two week break that we've just had? Because Cardiff desperately wanted that two week break, having, as we said, lost their last five. Um, you know, they, they'll probably try to use it to kind of wipe the slate clean and and get people back into a positive mindset. But, you know, the Swans, we were in the best run of form. We've only lost two games so far. We had a couple of injuries, maybe a few players looking tired. We've had two weeks to refresh as well. And, uh, you know, we've we've lost fewer players to international call-ups than, um, uh, than Cardiff as well. So who do you think should benefit most then from this two-week break? It's an interesting question. It's certainly up for debate. I would I would probably quite heavily lean in the favour of us. Um on the basis of um it this isn't this is about um for us, it's about fitness because he wants to play a very high intense high intensity game, um, Russell Martin, that we, we didn't play at any point really under Steve Cooper. Um whether you're a Cooper fan or not. It, it was just a lot more of a passive game and he got great success from it, but it certainly wasn't high intensity. So in that regard, this is a this is a change. Um, so there's that side of it. Just getting them on a training field and, and getting them doing running drills will be something. But secondly, also, it's tactical. It's a tactical overhaul. So he's needed the preseason he hasn't had. Russell Martin, Mick McCarthy had it. It doesn't matter. He's They're going in a different direction. Mick McCarthy also said a week or two ago that... People have sussed out Cardiff. Maybe that's what's gone on. Maybe they've sussed out how we play. That's not what you want to hear from your manager because that sounds like they've sussed him out. Um, Has he got a plan B? How reinventive is Mick McCarthy? That's not to call him a dinosaur. That's for other people to say if they want to call him that. But how much is he going to reinvent the wheel now uh, at his stage in his career? He, to me, looks like he has one way of playing and particularly with the personality as it is disposal at Cardiff. I don't think he's suddenly going to be playing tiki-taka football against us on Sunday. Uh, I think he's going to keep trying to do what he was doing. I don't doubt that the break might help just to get that last run of form out of their wine, out of their minds and try and hit the reset. And what better way to do that in a derby where all distractions are are put, put away? Um, so, yeah, I think both teams will benefit. But on basis of the wording... I think we will benefit more. I feel like Mick McCarthy is flagging. um, And I don't want that to be famous last words, but he didn't sound like a man who was confident in his own ability. He sounded hopeful that he'd be able to keep his job, which which is the sign of a manager who's struggling. Um, 
Russell Martin's obviously gone a different path and we're hoping that that will come good for us over the next couple of weeks and what better time to start than now. Steve, when we're talking about Mick McCarthy, I mean, a couple of weeks back against West Brom, he started five centre-backs. I mean, that, that's, you know, it's it's almost a joke, isn't it? Um, but he's likely to play something similar again against us. He's likely to, he's definitely going to be playing at least three centre-backs, probably four. Um, you know, the midfield isn't going to be that adventurous and they're going to be trying to get balls into um, Kiefer Moore. Um, and, and they're going to try and make the most out of set pieces and long throws. We we kind of know what to expect from Cardiff, don't we? Um, but do, do you think that we are actually set up to defend against that kind of tactic? Because we haven't played against that kind of team much in the uh, in the opening stages of this season, um, and it's it's going to give us a bit of a new test, isn't it? I think it is a bit of a concern, if if I'm honest. Um... You know, we have not looked as good defensively in some games. So I think it's quite remarkable. We have got five or six clean sheets in the league. But I think when we concede, it's usually two and three. So that's a bit of a, a worry, really. I do think we're going to have like a lot of the ball, for example. But you know, as you said, what they're going to do. They're, they're going to look to go long. They're going to play off long throws, set pieces if they get the chance. And that could be a weakness for us. It, it does concern me. A little bit. I I won't lie about that. But I think, in, you know, we I think what we need to do really is make sure that we move the ball quickly. We use the pace of Ethan Laird, for example. If Obafemi is fit, he's another one that's quick. They they won't like players that are looking to run in behind them. They'll want us to play in front of them. So I think that's the way that we sort of need to approach it. And like I said, when it, we need to try not to give them too many dangerous set pieces because I think. That's what they're going to do. They've scored a lot of headed goals, haven't they, Cardiff? So it's pretty clear that that's going to be the threat and we need to be able to deal with it, even if you know, they would be capable in that situation then of nicking a game despite having hardly any of the ball just because they've managed to stick a horrible ball in the box that we haven't dealt with. Yeah, Cardiff, uh, all but two of their goals this season uh, have been headers, which is... An incredible stat, really. Um, they've won more aerial duels than any other team in the division, which, again, is not a surprise when you look at the amount of six-footers that they've got in the team. For me, their, their danger man and the one that we've got to keep an eye on is Ryan Giles. Um, I, I thought during the summer that he was a very good signing for Cardiff, um, did well at Rotherham, very energetic player, has a good left foot on him, can put a ball into a dangerous position, that's the kind of player they they need in that team, but they don't have many more players other than Giles who can do that. You know, he is um, he's pretty key to the way they play, and I think if we can just keep him under wraps, just keep very tight to him, not give him any kind of space to to measure a pass, then I think you go a long a long way towards stopping Cardiff at least from set from open play where. Um, I think only two two teams have scored fewer goals from open play than Cardiff this season. So um, I, I think he's he's the danger man, really, because as much as we look at their big men, um, you know, you need that little guy who's who's capable of putting in a good pass for them. And I think he's the one player they have who can just float the ball into the box for more to attack, you know, or from, you know, put, put the ball into the box when they've got all the big centre-backs up there and get the likes of Aidan Flint or Sean Morrison attacking them and that's that's how Cardiff are most likely to score you know I'd, I'd be bitterly disappointed if they opened us up with a flowing passing move because 
I, you know, you wouldn't have thought that they're capable of it, really. They're going to try and bully their way to victory. They're going to play for set pieces and free kicks and build their attacks around that. Um, and because and, that that's how they've played for pretty much the entire season. And, you know, going going back way beyond that. Um, Matt, who are, the, who are the key players from our point of view? Who are the ones that you're looking to to make the difference? Because Russell Martin's come out this week and said that we've got pretty much um, a, a fully fit squad for this match, which um, is not something he's had too often this season. To view to to make that difference and and get us the win that we desperately want from this game. Um, yeah, I think uh, we we can control this game um, pretty much from the off. Really, I don't think Cardiff, are, as I mentioned earlier on, I don't think Cardiff are particularly fond of the football. In general, um, I think they just like to kick it in the air and, and, and win flick-ons. And that's been my feelings for, for quite a few years. So to see us set up in a, in a manner which is actually even more extreme uh, ball-keeping um, is probably exactly how this game should play. Um, we've got players in the middle of the park who should be able to pass rings around Cardiff. It is going to be decided, as every football match is, in either penalty area. And I think um, this is where the question marks remain because, you know, you've got where we struggled perhaps against Mitrovic with Fulham. Cardiff will have um, Kiefer Moore, who is by no means a Mitrovic, but he is a big centre forward who will give our defenders a hard time. Um, and, and that's something we're going to have to deal with, especially if we do if we don't put our, our biggest, bulkiest defender on him, then that's some, something we're going to have to overcome. Um, at the other end of the pitch, the 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 six foot five back line, just happy to sit there and lump everything away all game. That's going to be a difficult thing to get on the end of crosses. So that's something perhaps we need to adapt from. Um, maybe look to the likes of Ethan Led to cut inside. Um, rather than go around the outside and, and whip balls in, because I don't think that's going to be particularly fruitful. And, you know, if it's Jake Bidwell on the other wing, then then so be it, because Jake Bidwell isn't going to cut inside. He's a go down the wing and cross it in 30 times a match kind of player. But um, maybe he will look to play Ryan Manning out there for this game. Who knows? There are certain players in certain positions. Not key personnel, sort of. I think this is going to probably be decided on um, tactical tweaks rather than the personnel involved. I think um, if we approach this the right way and try and keep the ball on the floor as much as possible, that's going to harm Cardiff and, and hopefully keep the ball away from Kiefer Moore's head uh, around the penalty area. That'll be an extra bonus as well. Yeah, absolutely. And with that in mind, I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Um, Steve, you go first. Are the Swans going to get uh, the victory in the first South Wales derby of the season? I'm always reluctant to predict uh, much in Derby games because yeah, they, they are so hard to call. So obviously that means I have to sit on the fence. I'm going to say nil-nil. Matt, are, are you more confident? Do you think that we are going to be able to get those three points? This does this does have nil-nil all over it. Um, and it does just literally <laughs> reeks of nil-nil. But that said... This isn't like anything. Like I say, you take what you think you know and you throw it out the window. Because if this is nil-nil with an hour gone, 
unlike Derby, whereby you felt like we could have done more, we could have pushed more, we could have really, really tried to throttle them, but we didn't. This will be different. I don't think the fans will allow anything other than 120%. So with that in mind, I think that the issue is going to be forced. Whether that results in a positive result or not, that's up for debate. However, I think Cardiff will be absolutely delighted to get back on the coaches with a nil-nil. And I think we will be bitterly disappointed. So with that in mind, I'm going to put us down for a 1-0 win. Oof, good stuff. I'm glad that you went for a Swans win because otherwise we'd have had three nil-nils because I'm going nil-nil. Um, <laughs> it does have it written all over it, but I just it think does, you've got to disregard it? what you think you know for this one. You don't want to say it going into a derby. You want to say, oh, it's going to be an exciting game. We're going to see goals, etc. No, I, th- I think... If I'm being honest, I think it's going to be defence against attack. I think Cardiff are going to sit back and defend. They're going to yeah. try and soak up pressure. They're going to park the bus and then try to, you know, get play for territory, basically. Try and win the odd free kick so that they can lump the ball long, play for throw-ins, corners, that kind of um, that kind of game, really, which will enable them to get the centre-backs up and, and compete for those aerial balls. And I think that's where we are really going to be tested. Um, you know, we're, we're not the tallest of teams. Let's see how we cope with that. But for us, it's it's about finding that key to unlock a tightly packed defence. Um, you know, and you're looking for something special, like we saw with Piru and, and Patterson combining against Huddersfield, combining against um, Fulham, just doing something out of the ordinary. That's what I'd love to see the Swans do. Um but, you know, this kind of game, I think, especially with the form the two teams have been in, you don't want to concede a, a goal first. You really want to keep it tight. Last last season in this fixture, Cardiff scored within the first few minutes and we spent the, the rest of the door trying to uh, the rest of the game trying to knock the door down with 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 no luck, you know, um, and that's that's what we want to avoid this time. So I think it's going to be cagey in many ways. I don't think teams are going to be taking too many risks. And I think it's it's probably going to finish goalless, in my opinion. I just think neither of these teams are winning at the moment. And there's too much riding on this game for both sides for for, for either of them to lose it. So um, I don't think it's going to be a classic. I think it could be a frustrating one for both teams for different reasons. And I'm going to go for a nil-nil as well. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping the Swans can, of course, get the three points, give us... Another Derby Day memory to cherish, but uh, we'll have to wait and see for everybody that's going down to the Liberty. Make some noise, you know, have a few pints beforehand and uh, make sure that you uh, create the kind of atmosphere that we'd all want on a Derby Day. Do your best, boys, both on and off the pitch. Good luck, the Swans. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.